they say the definition of insanity is repeating the same experiments and expecting to get different results. I've heard this before. But if that's the case, it's always made me wonder about my children. Because it's not uncommon for one of them to ask me for candy, for ice cream. And when they get an answer that they know, I don't want to give them ice cream, they're not getting candy. It doesn't stop them asking the same thing again five minutes later. Well, it's going to be, can we stay up the whole night tonight and not go to sleep? And the answer is, no, you're going to sleep. That's not going to stop them that night saying, well, maybe we can stay up the whole night and not go to sleep. But I was wondering why it's like that. Without wanting to accept the, uh, maybe, answer best would be said before, why would a person try again when something hasn't worked in the past? And thinking about that made me think about Pashas Bilam. Because in Pashas Bilam, we see that's exactly what Bilam does. The first group of missionaries come to him, messengers of the king of Moab, and they say, please come with us and curse the Jewish people. And Bilam's answer to them, I have to listen to what Hashem says, I'll ask him. And Hashem says to him, don't go with him, don't curse the Jewish people. So Bilam, response in the next morning is Hashem will let me go with you and Baruch hasn't isn't ready to give up yet he sends a second group of higher dignitaries of more respected ministers and they come back to Bilam and they also ask him the same question please come with us to go to Jewish people and Bilam having already asked Hashem and gotten Hashem's answer says them also I'll ask Hashem again what was he thinking he already tried that it hadn't worked. Is this an example of insanity? But what's more amazing is this time Hashem does allow him to go with him. Well, Bilam doesn't need more than that opportunity and he's in the morning, he's already up early, riding his donkey and he sets off with them. And then what's even more fascinating is the following pasuk. Hashem's angry, why did you go? Well, it's hard to understand. Hashem allowed him to go. So why is Hashem now getting angry that he went? And not only that, he sends a malach with a sword to impede Bilam's progress. What's it all meant to mean? So there's a principle here which can explain Bilam to us and maybe our own children as well. And that is, Bilam knew a principle. And the principle is, and Rashi brings it on the Pasuk, The way a person wants to go, to go. And therefore, Bilam felt, it's true, I've already asked before. But if I show that I really want to do it, and I ask again, then I'll be given the ability to do it. And therefore, it's true, I got a no the last time. But there's reason to understand that I won't get a no again. Something's going to change. And that's why Bilam tries again. And indeed it works. And this time Hashem says, if you want to go, you can go. So why does Hashem get angry? The Ramban explains us an important principle. And the Ramban says, there were two parts to Bilam's question. The first part was, 
can I go with these men? The second part was, can I curse the Jewish people? And Hashem answered him the first time, no, you cannot go with these men. No, you cannot curse the Jewish people. And the second time Abinam asked, so Hashem told him, if you want to go with the men, go with them. But you cannot curse the Jewish people. So what is Bidam thinking? Bidam was thinking, well, I was already halfway successful. The first time around the answer was, no, you can't go, no, you can't curse. And the second time around the answer was, you can go, but don't curse. So Bidam's pretty sure of himself. And that is that if I try again, then maybe I'll, I'll get the second no to change to a yes as well. Right now, Hashem is saying, don't curse, but I have ways and means. And I'll get them cursed in the end of two. That's how Bidam went. And that's why Hashem was angry. Because there's two kinds of no's. There's one kind of no which is no, but subject to change. And there's one kind of no which is no, absolutely not. There's no way this is going to change. And in, one, in the first case, so if a person tries harder, or if a person is enough of a shot that that's what they want to do, so that's a no which can change to a yes. The person wants to do it, but never must allow them to do it. But then there's the kind of no which is no and absolutely not. It's never going to change. And that was the difference between the two kinds of questions Bidam asked. When Bidam asked, can I go with them? So originally Hashem gave him good advice and said, don't go. He pushed the point, he showed he wanted to go. So that's in the category of a Deir Shalom Ritzenelech. That's what a person wants to do. So Hashem allowed him to do it. And therefore, when Bilam was obstinate about wanting to go, so Hashem said, that kind of thing, if you want to do it, okay, I'll take away my objection, you're allowed to go. And Bilam went. But there's a second kind of question Bilam asked for. And that was, can I curse the Jewish people? And then Hashem's answer was no, you can't curse the Jewish people. And Bilam thought that was also in the category of if he really wants to, he'll be allowed to. And there Hashem told him off. No. Here the no means absolutely not. Nothing's going to change. And the fact that Bilam went thinking he would be able to change Hashem's mind about that as well, that's what made Hashem angry. And therefore Hashem sends a malach in front of him. A malach with a sword. Now what is it meant to show Bilam? What happened was, Bilam never saw the Malach. His donkey did. Is the donkey going to run into the Malach with an answer? sword? of course not. The donkey tries to avoid the Malach. And what happens? Bilam doesn't understand what the donkey is doing. So Bilam hits, hits the donkey. Now imagine you were the donkey. And in front of you had a Malach with a sword. And on your back you had Bilam with a stick. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be more wary of the sword? and remain to get beaten by the stick? Or are you going to get scared enough of the beating by the stick to run into the sword? It's obvious. It's obvious. If there's a man with the sword, you're going to avoid the sword. If that means you're going to hit with the stick, so then it's just too bad, but it's not because of nervous. And that's what eventually the Bidam, when he sees the man understands. And that is, as much as he's going to, as much as he's going to hit the donkey, the donkey is not going to listen to him if on the other side is the malach with the sword. And what was the 
what was the point that he was meant to learn from that? The point he was meant to learn from that is that what you want to do, there's some things you can do and some things you can't do, but you can't fight with the man up of the sword. There's some things which are forbidden from doing. You, there's no way it's going to, you'll be able to do it. And therefore, even if you're being, you're being put under pressure, you're being pushed by the messengers of Moab, it's no longer, no different to donkey getting hit with a stick. But it's not going to change the fact that you, if there's a man up with a sword, then it's not something that's possible to do. And therefore, he's meant to understand what you're going to do to try and cosplay Israel, it's not going to happen. That's a no which is an absolute no. And therefore, once that's the category of the no, don't try to change it. It's just a sign of insanity. Bilaam tried and didn't manage. Hashem wasn't willing to curse Klai Yisrael. We see after Meme River, Hashem told Moshe, Lechain, you're not going to go into Eretz Yisrael. So he was told, no, they're going into Eretz Yisrael. And we see Moshe tries many, many tefillas to be allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael. Until Hashem tells him, Don't speak to me anymore about this. And what happens? We have to understand it the same way. Originally, Moshe thought that Hashem's no, you're not going to Israel, was something which could be changed with Twitter. Something which could be changed with Trevor. If that's the case, he's willing to try. But Hashem told him, this is final. It's an absolute. And therefore, that's not going to change. So then don't try anymore. Don't speak anymore about it. It's not going to work. I'll tell you if And that's the principle we see. There's two kinds of no's. There's a no which is tentative, and there's a no which is definite. Benham's mistake was he mistook the two. He thought the no to curse was also something which could possibly be changed, and Hashem showed him there was no way it was going to change. That was an absolute. Now that's the principle we have to understand when it comes to Chiroch too. And then they sometimes show us for something, and we don't really want to give it to them. We don't think it's good for them, we don't really need it. But is it absolutely critical that they don't get it? No. And therefore, if they really try hard enough, or they really nag us enough, or they really wear us down, we might just give in because we weren't so opposed to the idea in the first place. You know, if the kid wants a few more candies, it's not the end of the world, let him have it. So we don't think it's good for him, but if it's already becoming such an issue, it's not, a, it's not such a big deal just to step down. Maybe the children realize that too. And therefore they realize there are those no's which the child wants to know, which parents will eventually have. And therefore it's worth trying to ask again and again. It's worth trying to put on pressure. It's worth trying to, to beg for something because sometimes they'll get successful. If that's the case, it's not insanity. It actually works. But what's important is to make this distinction. There are things as parents which are our rules or our preferences, things we want we don't want. When things which, you know, in the circumstances, okay, we can be prevailed upon to change. We don't want our kids to go to bed too late. We don't want them to eat too much candy. We don't want them to do things which aren't necessarily the best thing for them to do. But, you know what, it's, it's not the end of the world. We can understand it. And uh, if it's becoming enough of a, something of an issue, uh, we're willing to step down and give them what they want. And that's not the end of the world either. We don't have to be completely rigid as parents. But it has to be clear that there are those areas where 
now is subject to uh, revisiting the decision, but there are those areas where no is absolute. And therefore nothing in the world is going to change that. And there has to be a difference between, so to speak, a parent's rules, house rules or parents' rules for what he thinks are best for the child, whatever circumstance. Rules which the parent at his discretion can relax or change. And rules which are Torah. Rules which are Allah. Rules which are Yiddishkeit. Because then the rules are absolute and the parent's not able to change. The parent's not in the position to change. And if that's the case, not eating candy before bedtime is a rule which might, given the right circumstances, change. But not eating candy which doesn't have a heksha is an absolute rule. And no way in the world is it going to change. And similarly, no uh, playing with your toes before you've done your homework is a rule which is something which is at the parents' discretion can be enforced. But no playing with toes which are muktzah Shabbos is an absolute rule. Is an absolute rule. And that's the distinction. That with things which are halacha, things which are Torah, so that's in the category of it's not going to help to try and change anything. These are things which are principles, these are things which are absolute, these are things which stay the same. Whereas those things which are our preferences, those things we can change. The people often ask that on principle, once they've said something, should they not change their minds? Once they said, don't do something. So now we have to go down fighting right down to the end because we can't sit back down on something we've already said. It shows a weakness. I don't think so. On the contrary, the fact that a person is completely inflexible, completely unwilling to change, is just developing a bad middle in the children who will see that. And they also learn to be completely inflexible. And once I've said something, then there's no second option. There's no way that I'm going to think about changing my mind. It's not necessarily coming from a good middle. It's more likely to be coming from a bad middle of actions, of being stubborn, of being headstrong. On the contrary, sometimes it's a good thing to show that we can back down and we can change our minds and we aren't absolutely committed to, so to speak, to being inflexible in our decisions. But those are only things which affect our decisions. And therefore, it can be a balance. They're those things which are our decisions as parents. And we can decide it's correct or incorrect, so to speak, in the circumstances to enforce. And if you're going to show more Rahmanus, more flexibility, and when it's necessary, uh, more understanding of what the child wants, and therefore be willing to bend the rules a little bit, that's not a bad thing. But it has to be understood that it only applies to rules which are, are of our making. When it comes to when our job as a parent to enforce the Torah's rules, and our job as a parent to lay down the law when it comes to keeping halakha, then we aren't at the liberty to make allowances. We aren't at the liberty to, so to speak, to relax the rules. There can be two no's. There's the no which is, this is not what I prefer, and the no which is absolutely not, in those circumstances. And sometimes we need to use both. Just like by Hashem. And sometimes He says no to something, but if you're willing to dive in enough, or ask enough, or change enough, then Hashem will revisit His decisions too. Things which might have originally not been given to us. But Hashem shows we really want it, we really try. Just like Bilam used that for the bad, Hashem really wanted to go, Hashem let him go. 
We use it for the good. Something we really want to do, Hashem will allow us to do. But there are also those times when there's no compromise possible. When it comes to principles of Torah. So then it's not a question of if you really want things can change. There's no room for change. This is the way it has to be. And we have to know to use both notes. When to, so to speak, state our preferences, but which are our rules, and therefore aren't set in stone, or when we're in the position of representing the Torah. And if that's the case, there's no room to compromise. The Torah is not ours to make allowances for. And shall have to know that too. There's sometimes where there's room for reasoning. We don't have to be completely obstinate, completely unmovable. But there's room for reasoning when it's the other person's ideas or the other person's position or opinion that you want to change. But the terrorist position is no room for reasoning. When the person, the parent or the teacher is acting in the capacity of this is what the terrorist says, this is the halacha, then we have to train our children. That's accepted as an absolute. That's a no which is not going to change. Part of the mean the small daikh of the Mimakarevis. And sometimes we don't accept other any further discussion. That's the way it is, that's the way it's going to be. And sometimes not. We can be more, so to speak, in a position to compromise what we want. And come towards the other person to show that we're willing to accept it and just understand their position, understand what they want. Both together make it, on the one hand, the importance for understanding the value of a principle, and at the same time understanding that the one who forces the principle is really interested in helping me too. And therefore, when it comes to those things where they're able to make allowances, and they're able to see my side, and they're able to work to, to work with me, then they're willing to do that as well. And now only on the topic of saying no to children, so, the next question which often gets asked is, in what circumstances should I change my mind? I said no, but, uh, you know, putting under pressure, whatever the case might be. So, when is it right to stick to my position, so to speak, and when is it uh, the right thing to be a bit more accommodating and willing to change? So, I'm not claiming to give any comp- comprehensive List, but I want to give three examples, and I'm going to use the way to remember them. When we talk about you know, some of the rules which there are in learning the Torah, we talk about Kalo Prat, we talk about the Binyanav, we talk about Kalo Chaymer, and I want to use those three as uh, remes, so to speak, a, a, a hint to the three topics we're going to discuss, or kinds of examples which I want to talk about where perhaps it's more appropriate to be willing to change one's opinion. So the first thing I want to talk about is we call it a Kalal Prat. Kalal Prat, a Kalal is the rule, a Prat is a specific case, and that is, a person can have rules, and rules are important, even if it's nothing to do with Chinuch, it's just going to do with uh, having a functional home, you know, there's a normal way, a routine which things run in, there's a normal Mahalach of how people are meant to participate in keeping the home running, whether it's doing their chores, whether it's not not crossing certain red lines, whatever it's going to be. Uh, it's uh, normal that a functional home has a certain bedtime for each child. It's a normal that a functional home children are expected to help in certain ways. 
it's normal and then normal home that people know that certain things that they can't do because it disturbs other people or disturbs the family, whatever it's going to be. None of these things are necessarily chinuch. This is just a, a basic, so to speak, written, unwritten code of conduct for living with other people. Uh, the same thing would apply between roommates, same would apply between neighbors in the building. But that's the club. And uh, the rules like that are put in place because that's normally the way things run. But there are those circumstances where maybe the rules need to be bent. Again, we're not talking about halacha, obviously. We're talking about family rules. And then the first question is, is the situation which requires uh, a change of policy, something which is a cloud, which is changing the policy altogether, or is it a practice, is it a specific circumstance which warrants it? And uh, just like to give a marshal for such a concept, there's a principle that a novi can never change a mitzvah in the Torah. The Torah's mitzvahs are absolute and can't be changed or overwritten by anybody. But uh, for once off, a situation, so then someone who's considered a novi is allowed to change something in the Torah because in, a, in one of in a prat, so to speak, circumstance, so maybe a novi is authorized to do that. Like a could bring a carbon and her a caramel. Even though the rule is that one couldn't bring carbonus outside the vessel, I think this was the once of incident where a novi is justified, so to speak, to make a change to the Torah. So that's just a mush. But to give us a similar idea, a person has the rules which are necessary for the home to function in a way that's that's productive, that's uh, constructive, and therefore to change the rules altogether, maybe is not the right thing to do. But on the other hand, there is welcome uh, to think that in this one given circumstance, so then maybe this is an exception. Maybe it's a, a birthday, maybe it's the one time that there's no school the next day and therefore the children want to stay up a bit later, maybe a cousin or a grandparent came to visit, and certainly when it comes to other things, maybe they have their general rules, but just today they're, they're in a different frame, they went on a school trip and they're much more tired, they don't want to do the normal chores, whatever it's going to be. So the first, uh, so to speak, consideration in changing the home rules is is it a prat? Is this a general request to change the system or is there a specific uh, reason or circumstances right now which would warrant it? And then if that's the case, it might be that, okay, today's an exception, today I'm willing to be more accommodating, but this doesn't change the general rule. That's understood. It's understood and it also shows that the person is willing to understand, so to speak, the specific circumstances right now that the child's in. So it'll be our first rule to change, so to speak, no's into yeses. The second rule I want to talk about I call Binyanav. The principle of Binyanav means that if we see something in one case, we can learn from there to a different case. And the one becomes, so to speak, the Milamid, what teaches us a principle which we can apply to somewhere else as well. And where does this rule apply in the circumstances we're talking about? A person has the rules that they have, whatever they're meant to be. But very often the child's response or request will be that you made like none of my friends in this rule or other people don't have this this restriction or this uh, whatever it's going to be and now there's a question and that is firstly one has to know is that really true you know we're very good at generalizing it's just like saying that nobody does something or everybody has something whatever it might be even as us as adults that's not always necessarily the case so to accept generalizations without knowing that it actually represents the fact as opposed to 
uh, a person's perception or a person's feeling is important. But let's say that is the case. And let's say that uh, everybody in the child's uh, class and everyone in the child's uh, social scene is allowed more than they're allowed, is given something that they're not given. And once again, I'm not talking about halacha. Halacha is absolute. But we're talking about home rules. For example, if a person decides his child's bedtime is at 7 o'clock at night, and the child will say, all my friends are up to 8, I'm embarrassed to say I go to bed so early. Now, there's not necessarily always a reason to change something, but it's something to take into consideration. Because a child is part of the society he's growing up in. And to make a child very different to his friends, very different to his peers, very different to everybody else, isn't healthy for their development as part of a group. And therefore, again, we're not talking about changing what stands of Yiddishkeit, but when it comes to other things, which means more like, a per, like the kind of rules we want to enforce, so then it needs thoughts. Is it worth, worth enforcing whatever the house rule is in a case where one's verified that all their friends are different? That's not, a rule, that's not necessarily a reason to change all the rules, but it's a factor to take into consideration. In other words, sometimes this will be a factor. So that's the next point we're talking about. And that is the Binyanav, what can one can learn from other cases and apply to this case. One can learn from what other people's homes are like, one can learn from how other people act, and apply that to the case of one's, in the, of one's own children as well. You know, the same story with Rabbi Yashif, that when they used to ask him many years back about should children be boys and be allowed to ride bikes, he wasn't for it. But then at the later stage, when they asked the same question, his answer used to be, how many boys in this class have backs? And when the answer was, nearly the entire class has a back, so his answer was, well, then you have to give him a back too. And this is exactly the, an example of what you're trying to bring out. There's nothing halakhically wrong with having a back. Maybe Rabbi felt it was little terror, maybe he felt it was a possible sakona, you know, people could hurt themselves with backs, I don't know. He didn't feel it was imperative. But, since it's not also, if it's a situation where all the other kids do have, and the child who doesn't have is going to feel deprived. He's not going to be able to do what everyone else does. He's not going to be able to, so to speak, spend the, t- the free time the same way with his friends because they all have a back and he doesn't. So then Rabbi Yashavel, there was a reason to buy this child a back too. Okay, so that's our second rule. What can cause us to rethink uh, our position on a no is the billion of how other people are acting. And then the third rule, Kavachem, the rule of the Kavachem we all know is that you have two different things. One is more heavy, Chaymer, more severe. One is more light, less severe. And then we have a principle that if something, we're applying the more severe case, then with the letter there would be a leniency. In a more severe case, Kavachem in the lighter case. We'll have a too. If there's a Chumra which applies to the more Mekel Halacha, Kavachem which applies to a more Chumra Halacha. And how am I using this rule here? What I call Kavachemiyeh is in the context of in the context of that sometimes uh, there's a certain restriction a person's put into place, a certain thing a person doesn't want to allow. But it can be used in certain occasions as a trait, which means if there's something much more homer that the child wants, and that I definitely don't want to allow, so I'm willing to show that I'm willing to compromise by allowing the less homer thing, so to speak, as a trait for keeping the more uh, for keeping the more chomer one. Again, 
every circumstance is different, every case will be different, but just as an example, if a person has a rule, or has made themselves a rule in their family, that they don't want their children to listen to music on MP3. For whatever reason, I'm not saying right, I'm not saying wrong, I'm saying, let's say that would be the example of a family rule. And now the child doesn't just want to listen to music, now the child wants to, the child wants to uh, watch movies, which is more, much worse. So in a case like that, then one could say, you know what, uh, watching movies I want you to do, but nevertheless I'm willing to let you, I'm willing to let you listen to music. It's like you know, a trade. That the more homer thing no, the less homer thing yes. And that gets the same din of, that gets us the same din of, so to speak, being willing to compromise on one thing in order to enforce another. They'll let you do the more kal in order to keep the more homer. Or let's say a younger child wants, normally goes to bed at 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night, and comes to the Elsh first and they want to stay up the whole night. So first they were formed to the category of an exception. It's not every night, it's still shvuz. But even if you don't feel it's appropriate for the child's age or stage to stay the whole night, so then again, we'll use the principle of kal v'chaymer. You know what, normally if you go to bed, stay up till 7, because it's shvuz, the whole night, I don't think you can stay up, but if you stay up till 10, 11, 12, whatever it's going to be. In other words, the, the idea of referring to compromise, to show compromising by, so to speak, making allowance or changing things on a, which are more lenient in order to keep them more chomer. These are just examples. These are just examples. Like I said before, the overriding principle is that there, it's important to differentiate between the two kinds of anal. When it comes to Torah, when it comes to halacha, mitzvahs, then there's no mockum to compromise, there's no room to change, and then what we say, anal is going to remain anal. Torah is not something which is a compr- we can compromise on or change. And that's what it has to be. Uh, we children, everybody has to know that the Torah standards are absolute. When it comes to our rules, or what we would want as parents, we're allowed to make our house rules too. But here sometimes it's worthwhile showing we're willing to be more willing to compromise. It shows us that it shows the children we're not completely inflexible. If you are willing to take the way the circumstances or their feelings into consideration and reconsider our position. And even in those cases where it doesn't mean reconsidering our position in total, to completely, so to speak, annul the rule. But nevertheless, in the circumstances, be willing to adjust. Like I said, three examples, whether it's a practice specific instance right now, whether it's a case of, uh, in order not to make them too different from their peers, from their friends, or in a case where it's being make on a more lenient thing in order to, to, to maintain the standard of what's more important. There could be more examples as well. These are just examples which come to mind of how this principle works. The important, and the, coming back to the service at the beginning, Hashem works like that too. Hashem works like that too in the sense that we find by Kodesh Baruch Hu, that there's some things which He says, or makes, and it is, is open to us to be able to change that. Whether it's through Tfira, whether it's showing Hashem what we really want, so it's a no which can become a yes. As opposed to some things that Kodesh Baruch Hu says which are Poshet, Hashem talks about giving us a Torah, but other rules Hashem makes too, which are unchangeable, everlasting, nothing's going to change. The balance is important, because it's, the, on the one hand, the fact that there are rules which don't change shows what, what really has value, as compared to those things which we're meant to keep, but are not meant to be put on the same pedestal, not meant to be raised to the same level as the absolute. And that's where we have a reason to, uh, welcome to show more our understanding, our flexibility, 
and that's why this is the survival of these things is important.